0: The Writings of Isaac Pennington, Volume 2, Chapter 8: A Testimony to Truth. Concerning the True Church and Ministry. There is a great noise in the world about church and ministry. Many are affirming what it is, and many are doubtful and inquiring about it. And some are truly and rightfully satisfied, having received the knowledge of the thing from God who is not deceived about it, nor deceives any, but gives the true understanding of these and other things to them that wait upon him aright, that is, in his fear and in the silence of the fleshy wise part. Now, I have a testimony to give concerning these things, which that ear, which is of God, can hear, and to that ear I desire to speak. The true church is the spiritual body of Christ. The church is Christ's spouse, and he is the husband. The head is living, and so are all the members of the body. The head is anointed, and the oil with which the head is anointed runs down from the head upon all the body. And that upon which the oil does not run is not part of the body. Now, No outward thing can make one a member of this body. Much less can any outward thing, way, profession, or practice make a church. The church under the law was made so by outward things, by an outward gathering, an outward circumcision, an outward law, an outward worship, etc. But the gospel is a state of substance, a state of the invisible things, of persons invisibly gathered by the Spirit into the life and power of God, inwardly circumcised, inwardly baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire, inwardly worshipping in spirit and truth, bowing in every sound and name of the Lord Jesus, and whatever is of an outward state here under the gospel is brought forth and preserved by the power of the inward appearing and by dwelling in it. Therefore, This is the church now, a people gathered by the life and spirit of the Lord. It is a people gathered by the power from on high, abiding in the power, acting in the power, worshiping in the power, keeping in the holy order and government of life by the power, both inwardly in their hearts and outwardly in their assemblies and lives. Christ was made a king, priest, and prophet, not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. It is in this power that he gathers, governs, and preserves his church, and ministers from and by his spirit and power in it. Now, find this power of the endless life. Find a people anywhere gathered by this power and in this power. And there is the church. There is the living body. There is Christ the head whose dominion and strength is over all, against whom the gates of hell cannot prevail. It is the same for the ministers of this church. I mean, the same thing that manifests the church manifests the ministers thereof. For these also are of God, called by him, receiving power from him, and abiding and ministering in that power. So that there are three things requisite to a true ministry— without which they cannot be right or execute their office rightly. Number one, they must be called by God. The ministry under the law was warranted by its call and appointment by God. Christ himself took not the honor to himself, but he was called of God to this priesthood, even as Aaron was to his. So, too, the apostles and ministers, in their declaration of the gospel, were called and appointed by Christ. Number two, they must receive ability and power from God. The elders that were to help Moses were to receive of his spirit. Under the law, the priests were to be anointed with the outward, literal oil, and the ministers of the gospel are to be anointed with the inward, spiritual oil. Their work is spiritual, and how can they perform it except by the anointing? by that presence, guidance, life, virtue, and power of the Spirit putting itself forth in them. The apostles themselves, who had been taught by Christ, who knew his manner of life and his doctrine, who were eyewitnesses of what they were to declare, and had received an authority and commission from him, yet they were not to go forth merely upon his call and commission, but to wait for power from on high. Only when they had received the Spirit and power, then they were made able ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit and power. Number three, they must abide in the power, keep in the power, feel the motion, virtue, and assistance of the power in all their work and service. They must neither pull down nor build up, nor watch over or oversee the flock in their own wisdom in their own spirit, in their own wills, but only in the anointing, in the light and guidance of the Lord. This gathering, this building, this work of the Lord begins without flesh, apart from man, and flesh must be kept out of the whole carrying on of it. Indeed, unless the ministers of the gospel are in the spirit, in the life, in the power, How can they minister to the nature, to the spirit, to the life in the body, even so much as to the least member? They may minister outward knowledge to man's wisdom and understanding, but that is not the food that is to be ministered to the church, nor is it the part in man which is to be fed by the true minister. Rather, they are to minister life, living food, from the living fountain, from the head, from the Spirit of Christ in them, to the particular members under their charge. Thus they are to be good stewards and shepherds to the flock, giving everyone their proper portion in due season. Now consider, it was no small matter to be a minister under the law. It was easy to err and to minister amiss. It was easy erring from the letter, unless great care and circumspection was used to keep strictly to it. But it is a much more weighty thing to minister under the gospel, to receive the power, to minister in the power to that which is begotten and born of the power. This ministry is precious and is of God, wherever it is found. But only they that are of God can hear and receive this ministry. First John 4, 6 The uncircumcised ear cannot hear, nor the wise and knowing according to the flesh. For the wisdom of God is foolishness to man, and the mysteries of his kingdom, the mysteries of his life and the true godliness, are riddles and madness to the eye of his wisdom. Indeed, man is degenerated from God, and held down with chains of darkness and corruption. And he that would know the true church, or be of it, and hear the voice of God in his true ministry— must first take up the cross to that part in him which is not of God, and receive from God the eye which sees and the ear which hears. OBJECTION It is objected against us that this which we testify to, hold forth and practice, is a new way, having sprung up of late, never known or heard of in the world till some few years ago. ANSWER THE LIGHT ETERNAL When it shines out of the darkness, is new indeed to those that were overwhelmed and buried in the darkness of the night, and so never saw or heard of it before. However, it is not new in itself, but is the same that was from the beginning. This seed of life, this seed of blessing, is the same that was promised at first to bruise the serpent's head. It is the same which was promised to Abraham when the gospel was preached to him. It is the same that saved all, who believed in it, under the law. For it was not the types and shadows and outward ordinances which saved the soul then, but the seed, who was the Savior from the beginning, and is the Savior all along, even to the end. For the apostles preached the seed also, the word of faith, Christ the way, Christ the power. Yes, and all along the times of the apostasy, This was the thing that preserved the witnesses, saving them from being swallowed up in the darkness and keeping them alive in their testimony. And there is no other thing held forth now by those who are in the truth and raised up by the power of God in it to give testimony to it. This is the seed from which life has sprung in any that have felt life in all ages and generations. This is the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. This is the desire of all nations. Oh, that they knew their desire. And oh you, whoever has felt anything of God at any time, either in reading the scriptures or hearing a ministry or in private breathings, etc., this was it which gave you to feel in that state, to desire after the Lord, to turn from vanity, to long for communion with Him. Oh, that you were there now as you have been in times past, for there is no other thing we testify to you of or desire to draw you to than that which was the root and strength of your life in those days. Therefore, come back to the life. Know that which formerly gave you life. Has it moved on? Then stay not behind, but follow on. Oh, know the lamb who is the leader. For this is the great duty of duties, to follow him wheresoever he goes. He may, in his tender mercy, visit you in Egypt, in Sodom, in Babylon, but these are not the places of his rest, nor should they be so esteemed, simply because he once appeared, visited, touched, and refreshed the soul there. His dwelling place is Zion. His holy city is Jerusalem where the Christians dwelt with him before the apostasy, and where those that are redeemed out of the apostasy are again to dwell. Therefore, lose no more time in disputings, in thoughts and reasonings and consultings with that mind which will never advise the soul for its good. Rather, wait on the Lord that you may come, through his leadings, to the true sense of his seed, to the feeling of the nature of his eternal light and life in the heart. This will put an end to disputes, yes, and scatter the disputing mind, and powerfully determine the controversy in the pure sense and demonstration of the Spirit. And he that knows anything of this, let him abide here, wait here, live here, dwell here, and breathe to the Father here, watching narrowly over that which would lead from here, and draw the mind into another way, wisdom, and spirit. And, O poor soul, if the Lord touches your heart and opens your eye, you will see your Beloved, who is the choicest among ten thousand, and there is nothing like him for excellency of nature. Indeed, this is felt, it is experienced, and it is testified unto you in the love and in the truth. It is not the words of the letter, nor the observation of all that is in the letter that can give life, but his voice gives life. The words that he speaks at any time are spirit and life. So this is what we live upon, not the bread which we can make, not the things we can gather or comprehend from the letter, but the words which proceed from the mouth of God. Now, this seed is his mouth in and through which He speaks to our souls, who fear before Him and wait upon Him in His own eternal and everlasting ordinance. And here we meet in substance, in life, in freshness, in purity, in power. And this testimony is given forth to you in the love of God, from His tender heart, which knows your present state, your needs, your wanderings, your deep prejudices, and settled hardness against His truth. Nevertheless, He remembers the days of your youth and cannot give over seeking after you and crying unto you. Oh, when will you turn? When will you hear? When will you wait to feel life in the Spirit? A Word of Caution The following is a word of caution to those who are at any time touched with the power of truth, how they can afterwards hearken to and let in the enemy and thereby have the good seed stolen away, and true sense lost, and the mind filled with prejudices and stumbling blocks. The truth of God, being received into the inward parts, is found to be of a living, powerful nature, working mightily there for the cleansing and redeeming of the heart. And this is certainly witnessed, that even as the mind joined to deceit is thereby defiled, so the mind joined to the truth of God is purified by its power and virtue. Now, having felt this, and being filled with the love and goodwill of God to the souls of others, how can we help but testify to others who stand in the need of God's truth and its cleansing property and virtue? Now, when the Lord gives forth His sound and power and life, it many times pierces deeply through the earthly veil and reaches to His own within which, being reached, answers the testimony, saying, It is truth. Here is a beginning of the work of God in that heart, the soul being touched with his truth, feeling it inwardly, and yielding in some measure to the overcoming virtue and power of it. But then comes the subtle one, whose design and labor is to undermine and overturn the work of God in the soul. He begets doubts and jealousies and questions, both concerning us and concerning the doctrine taught by us to suggest into the mind that it is not of God. In this way, the enemy brings the dispute into another part of man, besides where the truth got entrance. And there, he easily sways the mind to judge against its own former feeling and to turn from that work which was begun by God. In this way, many poor hearts are entangled and carried back into captivity who began to feel the stirrings of truth in their hearts, wherein is the power of redemption, which would have redeemed them as well as others, had they received it in the love of it and become subject to it. It is a precious thing to receive from God a spirit of discerning, which gives the ability to discern His spirit from the spirit of deceit, Yes, it is impossible to be preserved in the right spirit and way, except as this is felt. For how can the Lord be received in all the motions and operations of His Spirit? Or how can the contrary spirit be turned from in all its subtle devices, twistings, and reasonings in the mind, unless there be a discerning in the true light of the Lord what is of the one and what is of the other? And you that desire not to be deceived, sink deep, Beneath the thoughts, reasonings, and consultations of the earthly mind, that you may meet with something of the kingdom and power, which carries its own evidence and demonstration with it, and may be gathered into it, and find a sense, knowledge, and judgment there, which never was deceived, nor can deceive. For the pure religion, the pure knowledge, the right judgment, the living faith, "...begin in the power and demonstration of the Spirit, and must remain within these limits. These things are separate from flesh, apart from man, out of his will, out of his wisdom, out of the compass of man's comprehension. And he that does not leave this ground never meets with the life, power, and virtue of truth. He may meet with a body of notions and formed knowledge." wherein he may talk of the fall of man and the restoration by Christ, even very exactly, according to a literal description. But the life, the true knowledge, the powerful virtue, is another thing altogether, and it is met with in another country, where man cannot travel except as he is stripped of himself, newly formed, made and brought forth in another. Therefore, you who desire after the Lord, who desire to be His and to feel Him yours, and to know His truth in the life and power of it, wait for the demonstrations of His Spirit. Learn to distinguish inwardly between the teachings from His Spirit and the teachings of another Spirit from the letter. Question. But how may I, who am weak and full of doubts and fears, keep in the sense of truth, and come to a certainty that I am not deceived. Answer. To you who present this question in the uprightness and simplicity of your heart, I have something to say. Number one. Mind how you were touched. Mind how you were reached. Observe what ear was opened in you, and breathe to the Lord to keep that ear open in you and the other shut. For this I can assure you in the truth of God that with the ear which the Lord opened to truth, which you felt his Spirit unlocking in you and letting in truth, I say, with that ear, you shall never be able to let in anything afterwards contrary to truth. But if the enemy can open the other ear, the ear that will hear his prejudices, jealousies, doubts, fears, and temptations, and let them in, it will thrust out that which entered at the other ear. Now, Can you not distinguish, O poor soul, between that which brought some sense of truth in you and that which rises in you against truth? O fear before the Lord! O watch and pray that when the tempter comes, you enter not with him into temptation, and so lose your union and growth in that which is invaluable. Number two, keep your eye and heart upon the preciousness of what you felt. Oh, remember how fresh, how warm, how living it was, how it reached, how it overcame, how it melted. The remembrance of this, cleave to in the mind, will be a strength against the temptations and subtle devices of the enemy. Number three, meddle not with the things that the enemy casts into your mind. Consider not whether they be so or no. He that considers of a temptation, in many cases, has let it in, and is overcome already. When Eve did but hearken to what the serpent said, how soon was she lost and gone? The enemy many times brings temptations beyond the state, capacity, and ability of the soul to determine. These things, at present, are too high for you. You have not yet received a proportion of life from God to determine them by, and if you run beyond your measure and seek to determine things in your mind— which are beyond your reach, you will surely run into the snare. Number 4. The present determining of these things would not be of so great advantage to you as you may believe. Why so? Because the enemy has many temptations and devices of the same kind, as well as of other kinds, which he would bring one after another. And when he brings a second, a third, etc., that which engaged you to consider the first— would engage you also to consider the rest. Therefore, the way is to keep out of him, in the upright sense of what the Lord wrought in you. For in this measure the Lord is with you, and abiding there you are out of the enemy's reach. But being drawn by the enemy to consider things that are out of your reach, you therein lay yourself open to his snares. Number five. Mind what was forbidden you, or required of you, in that time when you felt the warmth from God. For there is then a heavenly voice and a heavenly vision in the heart, though the enemy turns the mind as much as he is able from heeding it. There is then oftentimes something of the worldly nature and course discovered, or something of God's will made manifest. There is something that you do, or have done, which you then see to be not of the Father, but of the world. And perhaps there is something of the Father, which you know you ought to become subject to, but you're afraid of the cross, or shame, or would rather have more clearness first. Oh, call this to mind afterwards, and if ever you would receive life, and come into union with God's truth, and receive His Spirit and power, and be established therein, then become obedient to the heavenly vision." Consult not with flesh and blood, but enter into the obedience of that very thing which was forbidden or required, be it little or much. This is the right way that your mind should be exercised in. And if your mind be exercised faithfully here, the Lord will strengthen you against the tempter when he comes with his temptations and subtle objections. But if you falter here and become unfaithful in the little, you are not likely to meet with more nor with the preservation of the Lord in the little. And indeed, this is the cause of the miscarriage of many, because they have not received and loved that little thing which was made manifest, but rather had pleasure in unrighteousness, and so lingered in pleasing the spirit of the world, both in themselves and others, when they were called by the Lord to leave it and travel out of it. Number 6. Wait for the renewings of life and true sense in you from God. Wait for another visit. Wait for another touch and demonstration of His Spirit. Where did you meet with it? Go there again. Wait there again. And look up to the Lord to stay your spirit till He appears again. But, oh, take heed that before the light arises again, before the life stirs again, you are not already gone. By hearkening to temptations, into an incapacity of knowing or receiving it. For this is the way of the Lord, the experienced way. After he comes, after the touches of his truth, then comes the tempter with his reasonings, deceits, likenesses, etc. Now the Lord is trying you to see how your heart will stick to him. If you come off from the temptation, if you stand clear of the enemy, the Lord will appear to you again to strengthen you, comfort you, open more to you, and lead you further in the way of life, nearer to the power and purity thereof. But if you draw back from that wherein the Lord began to work, the Lord's soul has no pleasure to appear any further to you or to work any further in you. And one thing I will tell you, if you let not in the enemy's temptations, but abide— under the clouds, under the storms, under the tempests, under the confused reasonings, fears, doubts, and troubles, looking towards the Lord, waiting for Him, and not making a league with the enemy against Him in the meantime, then the Lord will certainly appear. And when He does appear, you will find one of these two effects. Either the power of the enemy's objections or temptations will be so broken that you shall not then heed them, or they will be so answered by the appearance and light of the Spirit of the Lord that you shall be satisfied about them. Now, which of these is better for you, the Lord God knows, and you are sure to receive it from Him in that hour. He will not leave you, but secretly support you in the meantime, as your eye and mind are towards Him. The light and power of the Lord, when it arises, scatters and breaks into pieces in the mind, that which was very powerful before. And then, the soul does not so much care to consider or know that which the enemy before made it believe was so necessary to know. For, Mark, that which causes me to grow is the feeling of life, the sense of the Lord's presence and power with me, the living knowledge, the knowledge which quickens and gives life. Now, when the life springs, when the light springs— When the Lord, in the power and precious visitations of His truth, reaches to my heart, this is present with me. Then, what matter to me those objections and prejudices which the enemy casts into my mind? No, I cannot heed them, being taken up with another thing of a deeper nature. For this I have often found by experience. All that troubled me, and all that I doubted, vanishes in a moment." when that which puts an end to all thoughts, reasonings, and disputes is present with me and prevailing in me. Again, it pleases the Lord at other times, when he sees good, to open the mind and let it into the light of those things, the mind waiting upon him and letting them alone till his season, which of itself it could never have waited through, Thus also have I seen the objections and stumbling blocks concerning this precious people, concerning their seed, their way, doctrine, practices, etc., opened unto me in the clear light of God, and in the holy demonstrations of His Spirit. Indeed, I have manifestly seen, and been fully satisfied, that what was objected in my own heart, and is objected to in the hearts of others, has been from the subtle accuser of the brethren— who bears false witness against them, and would draw as many as he can to partake in his false testimony and become false witnesses against God, his truth, and his people. Therefore beware, all you that desire after the Lord to meet with the rest and satisfaction of your souls in him, how you be prejudiced against the way whereby God has appointed to work in you and in all others. For he has sent his Son to give life." And he will not give life by another. And he has appointed that his son shall be received as a seed, as a seed of life, though as a little grain of mustard seed. Yet in this way he must be received. And in this, his low appearance, he has the presence of God with him and his power and authority. And what he, this little seed, requires, teaches, forbids, etc., must be observed. But there is no one upon the earth that can acknowledge or submit to this, except he become a child also, yes, a very little child. Man's spirit, man's wisdom, man's knowledge, man's religion, man's zeal is too big to enter here. Men are too wise, too knowing, too rich from scriptures and experiences to submit to this even as the scribes and Pharisees were with Christ's appearance, doctrines, and preachings when He appeared among them in that body of flesh. Therefore, come into the true feeling, out of the dead knowledge, into the living sense, where life, power, righteousness, yes, the peace and joy of the kingdom, is tasted and in some measure witnessed by those who bow down in spirit before the least and lowest appearance of Jesus. The lowest degree and measure of him whose life is king and lord over death forever. An Objection Against the Light Objection Many do believe, and in that belief do object against us, that what we call the light or seed is no more than man's natural conscience. Footnote this was a common criticism against the early Quakers' teachings regarding the indwelling seed or light of Christ. It was objected that the light to which they directed all men's hearts and minds was nothing more than the natural innate moral conscience. But the Quakers saw and understood a clear distinction between the natural conscience, which is a faculty of the created soul, and the eternal light of Jesus Christ that shines, convicts, and teaches from within the conscience. Returning to text. Answer. I can grant that it is natural in a sense, but not in the intended sense. It is a seed, indeed, of God's nature, of Christ's nature, but not of man's nature. It is that which stands as a witness in man against him, when he falls and transgresses. It is a light indeed that shines within his conscience, but it existed before his conscience was and is of a higher nature. Man is earthly, with his understanding, knowledge, reason, judgment, conscience, but the light that shines in him, even in his dark, hard, unregenerate, earthly heart, is heavenly, such as his darkness cannot comprehend though it shines in His darkness. Do you desire, in true understanding, to know what it is? Then feel it. Come out of the darkness where it finds you, into the light where it dwells, and then you will know it indeed and be able to judge it better. Now I will tell you how we know it to be the light of the new covenant, because we find it discovering to us the new covenant and leading us into it. We also find it showing us the sins against the new covenant and furnishing us with power from God against them and preserving us out of them. And with this demonstration, indeed, our hearts are satisfied, though we could also say much more concerning this light, whose testimony fully settles the matter to the full satisfaction of the soul wherever it is heard and felt. Some questions and answers concerning the new covenant to open the nature and way of it, as it is experientially felt in the heart and witnessed to in the Holy Scriptures. Question. What is the New Covenant? Answer. It is a new agreement between God and the soul, different from that former agreement, which was between God and the people of the Jews. It is a precious, glorious covenant, containing precious promises on God's part, and is as easily to be attained on the creature's part as can possibly be. It is a covenant of the eternal love of God, of life, peace, and rest to the soul. It is the power of the Lord stretched out for the soul to deliver it from Egypt, carry it through the wilderness, bring it into the Holy Land, and give it its proper possession and inheritance there, maintaining it therein against all its enemies. Yes, this covenant contains very precious things, which the soul finds great need of and rejoices in the sense and presence of, such as writing the laws of God in the heart, putting his fear in the inward parts, yes, putting his own spirit within, to be a fountain of life and strength there, whereby he causes the soul to walk in his ways and preserves it from departing from him. Likewise, in this covenant God becomes the teacher who creates in the soul a capacity to learn and causes it to heed and profit. And in this covenant there is a forgiving of iniquity and a remembering of sins no more, with the destroying and rooting out of that which caused sin and a healing of the backslidings of the soul. Question. How is this covenant made with the soul? Answer. In Christ, the seed, who is all in this covenant. He is the light of it. He is the life of it. He is the power of it. He's the righteousness and sanctification of it. By coming into Him, the soul comes into this covenant. By abiding in Him, it abides in the covenant. By growing up in Him, it grows up in the covenant. Question Is this an absolutely free covenant? Or are there any terms or conditions required of the soul in it? Answer. It is absolutely free in its own nature. It comes from the free love of God. It contains in it the free love of God. It is freely offered to all to whom it is offered. It is freely given to all to whom it is given. There is no price. Nothing of the creature is required for it. All that is required is the creature's receiving of it, and giving up to God in it. But in the receiving and giving up to it, much will be required of the creature, without which he can never truly come to receive the covenant, abide in it, or reap the blessings contained therein. Of this the scriptures abundantly testify, together with the experiences of those who know and feel the nature and virtue of the covenant. Question. What things are required in this covenant according to the scriptures and according to the experiences of those that enter into it and reap the fruits and benefits of it? Answer. Number one, this is required. That when the Lord calls, when the Lord quickens, when the Lord touches the heart, opens the ear, and gives a faculty and ability of hearing, that then the Lord be hearkened unto diligently. The ear which God has opened must be kept open to him, and that power whereby he opens the one ear and shuts the other must be kept close to, and the Lord waited upon therein. In this way, the true ear will be more and more opened by him, and the other ear, which is apt to hearken to and let in the enemy, will be more and more shut. Who is there among us that has not felt the Lord God requiring this of us? And as he has been answered... The work of God has gone on in us. And as he has not been answered, the work of God goes backward and not forward. And the scripture bears witness to the same, as in Isaiah 55, 1-3, where the free covenant is proclaimed, yet there is something even there required. Hearken diligently, come and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me." Here and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Number 2. Repentance is required, turning from the old, unclean nature and spirit and touching it no more, but cleaving to that which has power against it and preserves from it. This also is felt and witnessed to be required by God now, and was also testified to of old, as in 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Number 3. Faith. Believing the testimony of truth and receiving the Spirit's baptism is required. He that will enter into this covenant must believe the testimony of the gospel, the record of God concerning his Son, with the faith that comes from him. And he must be circumcised, baptized, renewed, and changed by him. Now, he that does this shall be saved as Christ promised, Mark 16. But he who has the power of life and salvation did not promise that any should be saved otherwise. Number four, obedience of the gospel, subjection to Christ in the rule of His Spirit and keeping of His commandments is required. For as the first covenant required the obedience proper to it, so the second covenant requires the obedience proper to it. And as there was no salvation or standing in the first covenant without the obedience thereof, so neither is there in the second without the obedience thereof. He that will enjoy the peace, the righteousness, the justification, the life, the power of this covenant must live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and fulfill the will of the Spirit. He must keep to the seed, keep to the anointing, so that the evil one cannot touch him, so that the interrupter, the slayer, the destroyer of life in the heart has no power over him as he does over any who are outside the limits of this covenant. For within the covenant is all the good, but outside of it are the evil things, the dangers, the temptations, the snares, the death and destruction of the soul. And whoever wanders outside of the covenant cannot help but meet with them. Therefore, there must be a great care to abide in that which has gathered, in that which has quickened, in that which gives the true sense and understanding and keeps out of the wrong. How tender, how free was the love of Christ to his disciples! Yet he bids them to abide in his love and tells them how they should do it. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Question. But how shall the soul be able to perform all these things? Are they required of it in its own strength, or does God undertake to perform and work all in it? Answer. Not at all in its own strength, will, or wisdom, for these are eternally shut out of the covenant, but in the strength, life, and power which flows from God in the covenant. Question. How then shall the soul receive this strength, life, and power? Answer by embracing it as it comes, cleaving to it, panting after it, patiently mourning and waiting for it, by not despising the little and looking after more before the little be received, but thankfully entertaining the beginnings of life, the beginnings of the holy instructions, the first drawings away from the spirit and nature of this world, in whatever it be. He that disputes not concerning the thing, but receives it just as it appears in simplicity and uprightness, watching thereto. He shall be blessed of the Lord and meet with the desire of his soul in the Lord's season, when the Lord has fitted and prepared his heart for it. Now, this is such a small and narrow door, such a poor and low beginning, that the wisdom of man can never enter it. And if there should be a little entrance through it, through the overcoming power of life. Yet man's wisdom will often quickly drive the soul back again. Let me know the doctrine first, says the wise man. I will understand the doctrine thoroughly before I change my present way. No, says Christ. He that does his will shall know of the doctrine. John 7:17. 7, 17 You shall know a little which will reach to your heart and there you must begin, and being faithful there, you shall know further of the doctrine. But if you are unfaithful there, you will stumble, and be prejudiced against the doctrine, and never be able to follow it. O the mystery of life! O the hidden path thereof, which none can learn but those whom the Father teaches! But many think to learn in that mind which was always, and will ever be, shut out if Christ would lay his doctrine before them and make it good to their understanding, then they would receive it. No, no. They must bow to Christ, to his name, to his power, to his will, to his way of manifesting his truth, for he will not bow to theirs. Question. What are the sins against this covenant, and what effects do they have? Answer. The sins against this covenant are chiefly unbelief in the power and disobedience to the power, which are of a deeper nature than the sins against the first covenant and have more dangerous effects. The refusing of this covenant is more dangerous than the refusing the covenant of Moses. And the breaking of the covenant here, that is, turning back from God through a heart of unbelief, is more dangerous than the breaking of the first covenant. Question. But can this covenant be broken? Has not God undertaken all in it? Answer. This covenant is an agreement between God and the soul, wherein things are required of the soul through the life and strength which flows from the covenant. And the soul may hearken to the enemy and not to the Lord. It may walk after the flesh and not after the spirit. It may lust after high knowledge and hidden things of the kingdom as those of old who pried into the ark. It may draw back from the Lord in those respects wherein it had formerly given up to Him, etc. Now, these and such like things are breaches of the covenant. These are sins against it, which draw down judgment upon the soul at present, and at last will result in an utter casting off, unless the soul be brought back by the judgments into the agreement again, With the Lord in truth and uprightness. Now it is true that the Lord does all in the covenant according to his good pleasure, but he has appointed a way of working out the life and happiness of the soul to which it is his good pleasure to keep. And his way is Christ, the seed. From this seed, all the love, mercy, care, and tenderness of God flow, and to this seed, The soul must come, and here the soul is to abide, that it may enjoy and possess these things. But if the enemy can, by any means, draw the soul out from here, he draws it from its own life and strength and from the sweet blessings and influences of the holy and free covenant. Now the Lord has not given power to the enemy to force the soul from here. Rather, he gives power to the soul to abide with him here, And in the hour of distress, if it cries to him, he helps the helpless, and lifts up a standard against the enemy. Now all that desire the sweetness of this covenant, the life, the virtue, the blessings of it, oh, wait to feel and receive something from God, and in that gift, learn to fear before him, and walk worthy of him, and do not grieve or provoke his spirit, for he has the power of life and death in his hand. And with whomever he has sufficient cause, he may turn from and cut off. And to whomever he will, he may extend mercy as far and as long as he pleases. For it is his own, and he may do what he will with it. Only know this, God is love. God is tenderness, infinite tenderness. Yes, his compassion is beyond imagination or comprehension, and he hates putting away the poor mourning souls that cry unto Him, feeling their need of Him and gasping after Him, He cannot cast off. But the wise, the confident, the conceited, from their own apprehensions of Scripture, that think themselves safe by virtue of the covenant, and yet are enemies in their minds to the light of the covenant, these are out of the covenant at present, in their own imaginations and conceivings, and are in the most danger of any I know." May the Lord, in His mercy, cause His light to shine, His life to arise, His power to be manifest, and thereby lead into and preserve in His everlasting covenant, according to His good pleasure. Amen. Question. What is the house of Israel and Judah with which this new covenant is to be made? Is it the Israel and Judah according to the flesh? That is, the Israel and Judah according to the old covenant? or according to the new? Answer. When the old covenant passed away, the consideration of Israel and Judah after the flesh passed away also. The new covenant is fitted for and made with the new Israel and Judah. So now, as the Apostle said, He is not a Jew that is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, This gospel breaks down the outward consideration between Jew and Gentile and brings up another consideration in both, so that the promises and blessings are not to either in their old state, but to both as they are gathered into and spring up in the new seed. Question. Is this covenant faultless? Does it mend that which God found amiss in the first covenant? Does it keep more firmly to him than the other covenant did? Is there no falling away from it? Answer. Yes, it is faultless. It does help the defects of the other. It does keep more firmly to God. There is no falling away from it by those with whom it is fully made and who are established in it. But in the passage and travel, there is danger to the soul which is not faithful and watchful lest it be drawn from that which gives it a right to, and entrance into, the covenant. For even as the beginning is in the faith and in the obedience, so is the continuance, growth, and progress. Thus the gospel was preached, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. This believing includes not only a beginning to believe, but a going on therein, and a continuing to the end. For so is the promise and word of Christ. He that continues to the end shall be saved. But if any man draw back from the Lord, from his spirit, and return into the way of death with the other spirit, the soul of the Lord will have no pleasure in him. Objection. But then this also is like the first covenant, depending upon the creature, and is as defective as the other was. Answer. No. This covenant does not depend upon the creature, but upon God's love, mercy, and power, which has no limits in this covenant. It depends upon the seed of his life, upon the power of his spirit freely dispensed to the creature. Nevertheless, the creature that will reap and enjoy this must come to it in the faith and power which is of the seed, and in the same must abide with it. For God forces none to come, but draws and makes willing. Neither does He force any to stay, but He persuades and makes willing to stay. This is the manner of His working in the day of His power. But now, if the soul hearkens to the other spirit and his drawings, and departs from the Lord, and will not hearken and be one again, the love and pleasure of the Lord will turn from it, even according to the law of this covenant." For there is a law of this covenant according to the nature of it, according to which the Lord works, as well as there was in the other covenant. Now, search the scriptures concerning this thing. Is there any promise of salvation except by coming to the Son? Or is there a promise to them that come without abiding? Did not Christ tell his own disciples that as they were in the vine in his love, so they must abide there? This was the law his father gave him, and the same law he gave to them. It is natural to man to backslide, and if he backslide from that wherein is the life and virtue, how can he not miss the life and virtue of it? Therefore, in this covenant the Lord has provided that which will heal the backslidings and which will powerfully preserve him, but man must come to it. He must come to the sun, he must come to the waters, and he must also abide there. Yet even this is not required of him to do of himself, according to the law and course of the old covenant, but rather it is required of him in the new ability, which is in the new seed of life, wherein he is daily to receive it. Yes, it is with him and near him, daily drawing him into and preserving him in, the life, and within the limits of the covenant, even as the tempter is drawing him into sinning against the covenant, and so into death. Question. What does God promise to do for the new house of Israel and Judah in this new covenant? Answer. He promises to put his laws into their mind and to write them in their hearts. Oh, happy is he that knows these laws, this mind, this heart, and this manner of writing. He promises to be their God, and that they shall be his people. He promises to become their teacher, and such a teacher as all shall know him from the least to the greatest. He promises to take away that which is able to hinder the good things of the covenant, for he will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities will he remember no more. The Reason for Misunderstanding the Scriptures Question. What is the ground of men's misunderstanding and twisting the scriptures? Answer. Number one. A lack of acquaintance with the Spirit, and the right way of waiting upon Him to receive a true understanding of them. For though men may go as far as to know and confess that the Spirit of the Lord is the only revealer of the things of God, and the only right interpreter of His own words, yet the same man who confesses this may not certainly and distinctly know the Spirit of the Lord. He may not know when he is receiving the interpretation of a Scripture from the Spirit, or from his own understanding, or from a Spirit that is contrary to him. For there is another Spirit near man, whose nature, work, and delight is to cause man to misunderstand and misuse the Scriptures. And this enemy can warmly and clearly bring Scriptures to him with the purpose to deceive and mislead him. Now, he that hugs and receives everything that rises up within him easily runs into the snare of the enemy. Therefore, a man must watch and wait and fear and pray, that he may distinguish between the nature and voice of spirits in himself, that so he may know, in the light of the Lord, when the Lord speaks, and also when the mysterious spirit of the seat strives to speak like the Lord. Number two a lack of acquaintance with God's truth in the love, life, and power of it. For he that knows truth and has received from God the things of which the Scriptures speak, how easy is it to him to understand the words that speak of that thing? But he who has the understanding of the thing from the words alone, how easy is it for him to misunderstand the words? Number three. The opinions, apprehensions, ways, and practices of men, which they have taken up in the dark, and in which their minds are engaged, are a great obstacle to the right understanding of Scriptures. For there has been a cloudy and dark day, or a great night of darkness upon the earth, wherein the light, which leads to the soul's rest, has not shined clearly in men's spirits. And so, in this cloudy darkness... Men have wandered from mountain to hill, seeking their resting place. And now, some have settled on one mountain, some on another, some on one hill, and some on another, saying, Here is the resting place. And so, when the Spirit of the Lord comes and cries, Depart you! Depart you! This is not your resting place, for it is polluted. They cannot hear. Why so? Because they have already believed otherwise, And think they have found their rest. Some questions concerning deceit and deceivers. In the truth, there is no deceit, and they that are in the truth are out of the deceit, and abiding there are out of the reach of deceivers. But they that are out of the truth are in the deceit already, and are liable daily more and more both to be further deceived and to help to deceive others. Question. What is deceit, and who are deceivers? Answer. That which appears like truth, but is not, that is deceit. And they who are in a form of godliness, but are without the spirit, life, and power of it, they are deceivers. Question. Who are most susceptible to deceit? Answer. The simple the heedless, the careless, the gullible, those who do not wait upon the Lord in the light, power, and demonstration of His Spirit, these, through good words and fair speeches and appearances of things, are easily led aside from the truth itself into some likeness or resemblance of it. Question What is the time of deceit? Answer The night the cloudy, dark time, when the enemy has raised his fogs and mists in the minds of men. This is his time of deceiving their hearts. Question. Is it now night or day? Answer. It is night with some, and day with others. Where the light has arisen, there it is day. Where the darkness covers and possesses the minds of men, there it is night. Question. How may a man know whether it be night or day with him? Answer. By waiting to feel something of the life of God arising in him, and by turning and hearkening to his witness. Question. How may a man come out of the darkness of the night, into the light and brightness of the day? Answer. By joining to the first glimmerings and breakings forth thereof upon him. THE LEAST LIGHT OF TRUTH HAS THE SAME NATURE, VIRTUE, AND PROPERTIES WITH THE GREATEST. THOUGH IT IS NOT THE SAME IN DEGREE, YET IT IS THE SAME IN KIND. AND HE THAT WILL COME TO THE GREATEST MUST BEGIN WITH THE LEAST. LIGHT MAKES MANIFEST. THE DAY DISCOVERS BOTH THE THINGS OF THE NIGHT AND OF THE DAY. HAVE YOU MADE A DISCOVERY OF EITHER KIND, EITHER OF THAT WHICH IS GOOD OR OF THAT WHICH IS EVIL? either of that which is of the worldly nature and the evil one, or that which is of the heavenly nature and the holy one, then join immediately in the virtue, strength, and power of that which makes the discovery, and your spirit will find there an entrance into the light of the day. And going on faithfully in this, the light will daily more and more break in upon you, even until it has gathered your spirit out of the blackness, darkness, and deceit of the night, into the beauty, brightness, and truth of the day. Question. How may a man be preserved from deceit and deceivers? Answer. By abiding in that which uncovers them to him and preserves him out of them. By dwelling in that light, in that life, in that power, in that truth into which they cannot enter. For it is God, it is His seed, His nature, in which the wicked one finds nothing, and into which he cannot enter. And he that abides in him is safe in him. But he that goes forth out of the life, out of the light, out of the seed, out of the power which preserves, out of the holy anointing which keeps the eye open, he easily runs into, and is entangled in, the deception of unrighteousness. A question concerning miracles answered. Question, if this be a new dispensation of the life and power of God, even of the preaching of the everlasting gospel again after the apostasy, why is it not accompanied with outward miracles now as formerly it was? I say outward miracles because it is indeed accompanied by inward miracles. For the lame that could never set foot on the path of life do now walk. The eyes that were blind are opened and do now see the ears that were deaf have been unstopped and do now hear. The lepers inwardly, who were overspread with sin and corruption, have been washed, cleansed, and healed by the pure power. Yes, the dead inwardly have been quickened, raised, turned to him that lives forevermore, and have received life from him, and do live in him and with him. Now, these are mighty things, wonderful miracles, even the substance of both the miracles which were done under the law and those which Christ himself wrought outwardly. For it is not outward healing, which is the true salvation, life, and power, but these outward miracles point to that which must work inwardly, so that man might take notice of it, know it, come to it, wait upon it, and be made partakers of the inward health and salvation. Yet, Seeing that Christ was then pleased to put forth His power outwardly in order to point to and bear witness of the inward, why does He not do so now? Answer. The nature of the present dispensation does not require it, for the present dispensation of life is to bring men to the seed of life which is within them, which is the sum and substance of all former dispensations, and to bring them to this— there need not be anything of a miraculous nature outwardly, but only the witness, demonstration, and enlightening of the Spirit inwardly. Footnote. In saying this, Pennington is not at all denying the existence of outward miracles in the present Gospel age. He's simply arguing that such miracles are not now needed to confirm or establish the truths of the New Covenant, It's well known that several notable miracles and healings did, in fact, accompany the ministry of George Fox and some other early friends. Returning to text. Now, when the outward law was to be received, then the Lord saw need of outward miracles to confirm it. So it was also in the prophets' days, while the dispensation held up till the coming of Christ. And when Christ came in the body prepared by the Father, It pleased the Lord to confirm, by outward, visible demonstrations of His power in Him, that this was He. Likewise afterwards, the apostles, having the doctrine concerning that appearance to preach and testify to the world, the Lord was also pleased and saw good to confirm it by miracles. But now there is no new doctrine to be preached. The doctrine concerning Christ is the same now that it was then, the very same that the apostles preached. Neither is there any need of confirming it now, for it is generally believed among Christian professors of all sorts. For as to Christ's birth, preaching, holy life, dying, offering himself up as a sacrifice for sin, rising, ascending, sitting at the right hand of the Father, etc., who doubts these things? But under all this knowledge, men still hide their sins, their lusts and corruptions, serving not the Lord." not truly fearing, believing in, and obeying him, but his enemies, and are become corrupt like the heathen. These are Christians in word, but as to holy walking and the power of an endless life, they are as far from it as the very heathen. Therefore, the Lord has now visited the world in this state and sent forth what he judged necessary for it in this state, that is, Not a ministry to preach again the same doctrine under which the Christian world has corrupted themselves, but to point to the seed of life in which is the light and power to uncover, lead from, and wash away this corruption. And with this ministry there goes forth a power to reach the heart and raise the witness in all that fear the Lord. Thus the inward witness confirms it, and the mind is inwardly satisfied and comes to know the truth and turn to it. Now this, and the effect of it, is beyond outward miracles and beyond the satisfaction or assurance which they can offer. For such miracles leave a dispute in the mind. For notwithstanding all the miracles Christ showed, there was still a dispute and dissatisfaction in the minds of many concerning Him. But he that feels the thing itself in the true seed, where the demonstration and certainty of the Spirit's assurance is received... This one is past dispute, and is gone, in measure, into the nature of things, beyond that satisfaction which miracles can afford. Yes, he is out of that state and mind which asks for a sign, or seeks confirmation by a sign. A BRIEF ACCOUNT CONCERNING SILENT MEETINGS This is a great mystery, hidden from the eye of man who has run from the inward life into outward observations. He cannot see that this is required by the Lord of His people, or acknowledge any edification therein or benefit thereby. But to the mind that is drawn inward, the thing is plain, and a true building up in the life of God, and a fellowship one with another is therein sweetly felt. For there is precious refreshment, from the presence of the Lord received by them who singly wait upon Him, according to the leadings and requirings of His Holy Spirit. Now if the Lord please, I will open the thing a little more for the upright-hearted. After the mind is in some measure turned to the Lord, and His quickenings are felt, and His seed begins to arise and spring up in the heart, then the flesh is to be silent before Him, and the soul is to wait upon Him, For his further appearings, in that measure of life which is already revealed. Now, this is a great thing to know the flesh silenced, to feel the reasoning thoughts and discourses of the fleshly mind stilled, and the wisdom, light, and guidance of God's Spirit waited for. For man is to come into a poverty of self, into true humility, into nothingness, into the silence of his spirit before the Lord. He must come to put off all his knowledge, wisdom, understanding, abilities, all that he is, has done, or can do, that he may be clothed and filled with the nature, spirit, and power of the Lord. Now, in this measure of life which is of Christ, and in which Christ is and appears to the soul, there is the power of life and death. There is power to kill the flesh, and power to quicken to God there is power to cause the soul to cease from its own workings and power to work in and for the soul what God requires and what is acceptable in His sight. And in this, God is to be waited upon and worshipped continually, both in private and in public, according as His Spirit draws and teaches. For the Lord requires of His people not only to worship Him privately, but also to meet together to worship Him, in the seasons and according to the drawings of His Spirit. And those who are taught of Him dare not forsake the assembling of themselves together, as is the manner of some, but rather watch against such temptations and snares of the enemy. And this is the manner of their worship. They are to wait upon the Lord, to meet in the silence of flesh, and to watch for the stirrings of His life and the breakings forth of His power among them. And in the breakings forth of that power they may pray, speak, exhort, rebuke, sing, mourn, etc., according as the Spirit teaches, requires, and gives utterance. But if the Spirit does not require to speak and give to utter, then everyone is to sit still in his place, in his heavenly place, I mean, feeling his own measure, feeding upon it, receiving from it into his Spirit whatever the Lord gives. Now, in this is edifying, pure edifying, precious edifying. The soul who waits in this way is hereby particularly edified by the Spirit of the Lord at every meeting. And also, there is the life of the whole felt in every vessel that is turned inward to its measure. For the warmth of life in each vessel does not only warm the particular person, but they are like a heap of fresh and living coals warming one another, and a great strength, freshness, and vigor of life flows into all. And if any be burdened, tempted, buffeted by Satan, bowed down, overborne, languishing, afflicted, distressed, etc., the state of such is felt in spirit, and secret cries ascend up to the Lord for them. And many times these find ease and relief in a few words spoken or even without words. Now, As for absolutely silent meetings, where there is a resolution not to speak, these are unknown to us. Rather, we wait on the Lord either to feel Him in words or in silence of spirit without words as He pleases. And that which we aim at and are instructed to by the Spirit of the Lord as to our meetings is that the flesh and everyone be kept silent and that there be no building up except in the spirit and power of the Lord. Now there are several states of people. Some feel little of the Lord's presence, but rather feel temptations and thoughts, with many wanderings and rovings of the mind. These are not yet acquainted with the power, or at least they do not know its dominion, but still feel dominion of the evil over the good in them. And this is a sore, travailing, and mournful state, And our meetings to such as these, many times, may seem more for the worse than for the better. Yet even these, while turning, as much as they may away from such things, and cleaving, or at least in truth of heart desiring to cleave, to that which witnesses against the flesh have acceptance with the Lord herein. And continuing to wait in this trouble and distress, keeping close to meetings, in fear and in subjection to the Lord who requires it, Though with little apparent benefit, they do reap a hidden benefit at present, and shall reap a more clear and manifest benefit afterwards, as the Lord wastes away and wears out in them that part wherein the darkness has its strength. God is to be worshipped in spirit, in his own power and life, and this is at his own disposal. His church is a gathering in the spirit. If any man speak there, he must speak as the oracle of God, 1 Peter 4.11, as the vessel out of which God speaks, as the trumpet out of which He gives the sound. Therefore, there is to be a waiting in silence till the Spirit of the Lord moves to speak and also gives words to speak. For a man is not to speak his own words, or in his own wisdom or time, but rather the Spirit's words in the Spirit's wisdom and time, which is when He moves and gives to speak. And seeing that the Spirit inwardly nourishes, even when He does not move to speak words, so this inward sense and nourishment is to be waited for and received when there are no words. Yes, the ministry of the Spirit and life is more close and immediate when it is without words than when it is with words as has been often felt and faithfully testified to by many witnesses. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, how and what things God reveals to His children by His Spirit when they wait upon Him in His pure fear, and worship and converse with Him in spirit. For then the fountain of the great deep is unsealed, and the everlasting springs surely give up the pure and living water.